Well, today is uh, the second week in our series called Heroes, um, and I thought we'd start today, uh, there's a little outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along with the scriptures we're looking at, and uh, our first question, our start today with a little thought exercise, a question to get us thinking, and here it is. When does a war begin? When does a war begin? You know, when we study them in history books, they always have like a start and end date. And uh, the end dates are usually pretty easy to be certain about. Uh, But the beginnings are a little harder to pin down. For example, in which century did the Civil War begin? 19th, 18th, 17th? Anybody? David? Okay, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good, a good, a good guess. Anybody? Well, if you're a student this week, this comes up this week, taking a multiple choice test, you should bubble in the 19th century on your Scantron, because Scantrons are very unforgiving, you know? <laughs> There's no room for interpretation on a Scantron. But uh, I would like to make the case for our time today, other today, that while the first shot may have been fired on Fort Sumter in 1861, the American Civil War really began much, much earlier. You see, the war began when the acts of war began. When England went to war against African men and women by enslaving them, that is when the war started. When that war came to North America, when the first slaves were, were, were bought in the English colony of Jamestown in 1619. You see, the war began when the acts of war began, not when anyone bothered to fight back. The American Civil War began long before America was even a country. You see, today we're looking at Moses. And Moses' war, or rather God's war, that he called Moses to lead, began long before Moses was even born. At the end of Genesis, uh, God's people took refuge in Egypt through the work of the hero Joseph. Uh, Joseph basically saved the world by listening to God and by using reason to organize the government for the good of the people. But, you know, good times don't last, and we learn in Exodus 1, starting in verse 8, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase. And in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. You see, God didn't start this war with Egypt. Pharaoh started it by committing acts of war against the Hebrew people. And like our civil war, it lasted for hundreds of years. 
It didn't begin when God fought back. It began when Pharaoh went to war against the Hebrews. The first act of war was this enslavement of a people, but it got worse. Look at this, Exodus 1.22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now, you all know the story of one of those boys that got thrown, or rather gingerly placed, into the Nile. Moses' mother complied as best as she could uh, with this executive order. Uh, she, she waterproofed a nice basket. She, she placed it in the Nile. She told her daughter to keep an eye on it as it floated downstream. And that same daughter talked Pharaoh's daughter who found him, into paying their mother to become his nursemaid. So, so Moses grew up with, with like one foot in the palace and one foot you know, in the ghetto. Exodus doesn't say much about that time, but it's clear that Moses never forgot where he came from. He must have learned how his people were enslaved, how the Pharaoh who fed him from his table had ordered his death as a baby. His genius of a mother must have figured out how to stay in his life and teach him about his God and the history of his people. Resentment and, uh, and fire must have grown in his heart. You know, dreams of, of revenge, of a just war against this tyrant whose home he lived in, were born in him. Because we learn in Exodus 2, verse 11, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinsfolk, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. You know, Moses must have believed that what he did was justified. He must have. I don't think he saw it as a murder, but as a justified act of guerrilla warfare. He must have believed that God was on his side. But when he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he said to the one who was in the wrong, why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? He answered, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. You know, Moses must have thought that if he struck back, that he'd be justified. That God would be on his side. And that his fellow Hebrews would, would see it that way too. But Moses learned the hard way that God doesn't work like that. 
just because something feels justified, feels like balancing the scales, doesn't mean it's right. Moses killing the Egyptian was murder because that Egyptian had no ability to affect any change. He was just doing what he was told. And the next day, there'd be someone else to take his place. Moses killed him because he was angry. And then afterward, he hoped God would be on his side, or at least that his kinsmen would. But they weren't because they didn't live in the palace. They knew that one act of rebellion like that would only make life worse for them. You know, when you get ahead of God, when you think that God is on your side, that's what happens. You only make things worse. So Moses ran away. Uh, He ended up as a shepherd. Uh, He got married and had children. He had a whole other life. He found out the hard way that God wasn't on his side. So he ran away. And he stayed away. But, after a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites and took notice of them. I think these are the most important verses in this story. The Israelites groaned. They cried out. And their cry for help rose up to God. And God heard them. You know, not just in the way that, you know, God hears everything. God God is, excuse me. You know, God hears everything, right? God is always near to us in our suffering. But God heard in the way that people are desperate to be heard when they need help. It says God took notice of them. They were seen and known. So God decided what to do, how to rescue them. And he chose to act through someone who thought that he was all done. Thank you. So y'all think on that for just a minute. (laughs) Make sure you're really paying attention. Thanks, love. Uh, So God decided to act through someone who thought he was all done. He had a whole other life. He gave up. But then it says in Exodus 3, 1 through 2, uh, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Let's skip to verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people 
who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I think it's important to notice here that God waited to act until he had a new plan for the Israelites. God didn't just rescue them and then tell them they were on their own. He didn't rescue them and then make them the new power in Egypt. God waited to make his first move until he knew what his goal was. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. All right, you know what happens next, right? You've seen the movie, everybody? God sends Moses to confront Pharaoh. He does it nonviolently at first. He sues for peace. Then he adds in signs and wonders. But then God goes to war. God sends plagues on Egypt, and when all is said and done, Egypt is utterly defeated. And God did it all through the leadership of this man who thought that he was all done. He does it all through this man who, in another life, was so angry about the injustices perpetrated by the powerful that he murdered one of their pawns. He did it all through this man who once wrongly believed that his actions were justified and that God would be on his side. That that would make him a hero. See, we see in Moses something we all need to learn about heroes. See, we want to be, we want God to be on our side. But heroes are on God's side. We want God to be on our side, but heroes are on God's side. You see, Moses wasn't a hero because he was strong or brave or even because he was good. Moses was a hero because God called him to his side. Now, he probably wouldn't have called him if he wasn't all of those other things. But being on God's side is what made him a hero. But wait a minute. That could be pretty problematic. I mean, doesn't everyone believe they're on God's side? Doesn't everyone believe their side is justified? And we started out this morning talking about our nation's civil war. Everyone knows the secessionists used Bible verses to justify their commitment to slavery. I mean, they, they did cut the story of Moses out of the Bibles they allowed enslaved people to have. So they probably knew they were being a little disingenuous. But still, 
They didn't think that they were the bad guys. Some people still don't. They're wrong, but that's what they think. During that war, Abraham Lincoln was apparently asked if God was on his side. He replied, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. It's a good quote. And he was right about God, and he was right about the fact that he was on God's side. But since he said it as like a quip in a conversation, I'll bet he said it more because it sounded good than anything else. Because uh, when Lincoln you know, actually wrote his thoughts down in his speeches and in his personal writing, he was, he was much less certain about God. He, he really got the mystery of God and, he, and the compromised nature of everything that he personally had to do. You know, Lincoln didn't have the privilege that Moses did of getting direct instructions from God. He had to figure things out for himself. And with the help of his, uh, his kitchen cabinet and his generals and all the experts that he listened to, he made mistakes. He went too far. We may never get the executive branch back to what it was designed to be because of what he did. But still, he was a hero. For the same reason that Moses was a hero. He was on God's side when God finally moved. That war that Lincoln finished, we hope, raged against its victims for hundreds of years before God finally fought back on their behalf. He did it not just through Lincoln, but through Harriet Tubman, who earned the nickname of Moses, and through thousands of other people just like them. And you know, all of them were lucky in a way. They were on God's side, yes, but they also got to be a part of God's timing. They got to actually take part in God's rescue plan at the time when it was clear that God was putting that plan into action. I mean, Moses waited 40 years for that to happen. He waited so long that when the time actually came, he had already given up and had to be kind of talked back into it. You know, he had tried to help God along when he was a young man. His anger and passion led him to end up, you know, just committing murder when he wanted to start the war. But that wasn't then, and it never will be, a part of God's plan. You see, we want God to be on our side, but heroes are on God's side and follow God's plan. God's plan was obvious for Moses because God just came right out and told him. I think it was slightly less, but still obvious for Lincoln. But for us, right now, it's just not. For us today, we, we look around and all we see are a bunch of individual Egyptian taskmasters that we wouldn't mind seeing buried in the sand. I mean, I know what you're thinking because I've thought it too. 
that if enough bad things happen to enough of them, maybe things will change? First of all, ooh. Second, it doesn't really matter how many Egyptians get buried in the sand. It won't change. Even some of them that hold office, even high office, they're really just taskmasters. They didn't create the system, they're just a part of it. So were we. So what do we do? Well, to start with, we groan. We groan. Like the Israelites trapped under the oppression of the Egyptians, we groan to God. Now, for some of you, groaning doesn't feel like enough. You want to do something about the problems in our world. You want to fix it. But the problem with jumping straight to action is that your plans are just yours. And your plans might end up with an Egyptian buried in the sand. You probably already have them picked out. So what do you do? You groan. Groan about the state of our world to God. And then wait. Wait for God's timing and direction to jump in and help. Look for the, the Moses that God lifts up. And then follow them. Put it all at God's feet and place God's will above your own. Now, for other of you, uh, you might rather pretend that things are just fine. You know, believing that the world isn't broken is less scary. And being hopeful isn't a bad thing. Uh, but when people are hurting and you pretend that nothing is wrong, you, you find yourself in a pretty dangerous place in our Bible story today. You know who thought nothing was wrong? Pharaoh. You can also be sure there were plenty of people around him assuring him that, that he was the best Pharaoh to ever sit on the throne. If you're tempted to close your eyes to the needs of others right now, don't. And avoid the temptation to listen to those who tell you what you want to hear. Instead, groan. Let yourself see clearly the brokenness of our community and of our world. Open your eyes to all the wars that are raging in our world. The war against the poor. The war against the environment. Let yourself see all the wars that God hasn't fought back against yet.
Let those wars bring you to God with groaning. God doesn't need our prayers to be pretty. He definitely doesn't need our propaganda. God only needs us to be honest. Heroes are on God's side and follow God's plan. And we may not be the hero, but we can groan to God until we get one. Let's pray. God, let our groans rise to you. We know that you will hear us and take notice. God, let our groans rise to you and let those groans bind us together as a people. That we might no longer be separated and divided, but united in those groans. We know that you are near to us and that your timing isn't our timing, but still you do move. And we can't wait to see what you do. Help us to recognize the heroes that you send. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.